Welcome to the Unpolished MBA. I'm your host, Monique Mills. Many times entrepreneurs are called unpolished because they are scrappy and do things in unconventional ways. Well, I like the name Unpolished MBA so much that I even trademarked it. So on this podcast, we commend those with practical experience because they've proven time and time again that one can be successful in business even if they don't have a formal MBA degree. So on each episode, we discuss topics related to business and entrepreneurship. And I've been told that my guests and I provide insights and inspiration to aspiring and current entrepreneurs alike. So this is the place where you can come and hear real life stories that can help you navigate both challenges and opportunities in business. Now let's jump into the next episode. So hello, I'm Polish MBA. I want to welcome my special guest today. Yvette Owo. Hello, Yvette. Hello, Monique. I'm super here to be with you and your outstanding audience today. Thank you for being here. And you're pretty outstanding as well. I can't wait to get into some of the things that you're doing. Some of the folks in the Unpolished MBA audience is aware of my journey with acquiring businesses. And that's the space that I I met you on Twitter. Not LinkedIn, guys, this time. This event I met on Twitter, and you'll get a kick out of following her over there. What's your, what's your username on Twitter, by the way? Yeah, great question. My username is Yvette Owo. So Y-V-E-T-T-E-O-W-O. It's also in the show notes. And I am the only person in the world with that first and last name. So if you found someone, and they probably look like me, it is. <laughs> <laughs> that is a very interesting fact, fun fact about you. Thanks for sharing that. <laughs> So yeah, we'll have a link to her Twitter in the show notes. You guys will get a kick out of following her over there. So as I mentioned, we we initially met, you know, in the the business acquisition space and you were in the process of acquiring something. Where are things at with that? Yeah, things are fantastic. We're closing this month, which is really exciting. So it'll be my second uh, accounting company. And I'm really at the intersection of, you know, accounting finance positions. The seller relationship is fantastic, which is so important. Yeah. And, you know, we do a lot of due diligence for folks. And oftentimes the person, and we can talk more about that financial due diligence. I do. I want to get into that. I'm not letting you off of here. (laughs) But oftentimes you do that due diligence. And then you, as the person buying the business, have to project manage everything to get the clothes and it's really hard and so one of the things I, I try to find the spaces where people don't have enough information so I've done M&A you know as big as like 26 billion dollar deals in big companies to helping smaller companies to myself and helping individuals who are searchers and so there's that you know you need to get solid due diligence financial due diligence full stop no questions asked non-negotiable right that after that, your lender actually looks at your the numbers differently from how you look at them and how due diligence looks at them. And most people don't know that, which makes lending challenging. And so what I did was basically figure out how they look at it and then create a model so they can copy and paste and make their jobs easier and call them on a daily basis and sound like this. <laughs> So you're calling your bank on a daily basis to say, hey, this is a, you know, this is a different perspective and way of looking at the finances. Well, initially, so we, the relationship started less frequently and then it was every other day, Zoom, because Zoom, you can build a deeper relationship than a phone call. Then people get to know you. 
they realize you're knowledgeable, you're not going to yell at them, you're pleasant. And then they respond to text very quickly. And then they say, oh, we don't need a call. I'll just text you. And then as you get closer to close, because people will be in closing from one month to eight months, depending on the deal, that's, and those relationships matter. So you want your deal to be top of mind. And people like to work with nice people. And people are stressed during the, the closing process, the For seller, sure. buyer. And so if you're coming on, I mean, think about it. If you're a banker and you've got two people that got the same deal, pays you the same amount, one of them's like stressed and projecting that on you. The other one calls you, laughs, and is happy. And you're like, this is unusual. Which one would, whose deal would you close first? Absolutely. So that's one of the things uh, I think a lot of people forget, especially in the acquisition world, because, you know, a lot of folks come from finance and yes. things of that nature. All right, let's take a moment to thank the biggest sponsor of the Unpolished MBA. That's TPM Focus. TPM Focus is a strategy consulting firm that helps startups and small business owners generate revenue and find their way to profitability when they're launching a new product or in a new market. So reach out to tpmfocus.com. TPM stands for the Profit Matters Focus.com. But yeah. I have a good old, I've been having a good old time in this process. And it sounds like you have too. So it makes people want to engage with you with your deal. Yes. So I want to take it back to when you were mentioning due diligence and all that. So some of the folks yeah. last year, I did a like a webinar series to help folks kind of just understand the basics of buying a, a, a small to medium sized business. And there's a PDF on my LinkedIn profile that they can get get and download. They don't have to put in an email address or nothing and just kind of get the summary of what we talked about. And one of the things we did talk about was having to do financial due diligence on a company. There's basic you have to do to even know if you want to put an offer in on it. But then after doing that, then there's other due diligence. And I want you to get into quality of earnings or Q of E, you know, just dig a little bit deeper into explaining what that means and how it's necessary in this process. Yeah. So I'll, I'll start um, with that first process because often that can be a miss. So when you first get a business, whether it's through proprietary search, which just means you directly reached out to the people or through a broker listing, which means you found it on a website, you have to make a decision on whether or not you want to submit a letter of intent. Now, what a lot of people don't realize is a lot of your deal structure decision are actually already made by the time you submit that letter of intent. So you want to understand things like whether or not you want an earnout, or if, if you earn out, it will be the term if you're not using SBA, if you're using SBA funding, you want to understand if you want what's called a clawback. So say, for example, you don't hit a certain amount of revenue, certain part of the seller note is going to be reduced. Do you want a seller note? Um, do you want, you can put indemnity in there. So you can put terms that you might not think about till later, like working capital. Working capital is one of the biggest things that will kill a deal near the end. And so if you've mentioned it in the letter of intent, by the time you get to the end of the deal and you're all tired, instead of arguing over working capital, you're going to have a baseline already. And I really want to hammer that in. Working capital arguments kill a lot of deals at the end. So Okay. I want, I want to stop right there because... <laughs> yeah. You, I have heard that so many times. So just to be yeah. clear, 
working capital, when you make a, a offer on a business for a certain amount, let's say it's, I don't know, I'm just using a random number, a million dollars. And you need working capital to basically operate the business at least for a certain amount of time once they move on because they're going to probably empty the bank accounts, right? Things like that, right? So working the working capital, let's say you offered a million dollars for the business and you need, let's say, 200,000 in working capital. Does that come from the seller's proceeds? Does it come from the accounts receivables? Where does that money come from? So that really depends on how you structure it and it depends on your industry. And that's why it's really important to know about it up front. So if you have an industry where they don't have a lot of accounts receivable, so maybe it's like a monthly reoccurring service business, whether it's, you know, SaaS or something else, where people just pay on a credit card, there's not going to be any accounts receivables. So any working capital you need, there's only two options, a bank loan, which has interest, and Another option is you can actually ask the seller to give you cash for working capital and then you repay it back. Most people don't know this. You repay it back within year one. So you have 12 months, zero interest to repay back a certain amount of working capital. So those are a couple options. If the the, uh, company does have accounts receivable, that's also an option. Now, the risk around that is you're banking that all their accounts receivable numbers are correct. And that when you call people to pay you, they're going to actually pay you. So that also has a little bit of risk. And then you might want to, whatever the, say you need 200,000 accounts receivable is 250. Like you might want to, you know, look at what's bad debt, how much do they collect. But those are a couple of options. But the thing is, you have to have that conversation up front. And generally people don't have it until the end. And then they're stuck with only two ways to do it. Both of them include the bank and an interest rate. But if you have it up front, you can actually get a much better deal. So for example, what you just said about a million dollar business, if you need $200,000 of working capital and you didn't plan for it at the beginning, and now you need another 200K from the bank, you've now turned the business into a $1.2 million acquisition because you didn't think about working capital at the beginning. So here's the thing, in the small business world, a lot of the sellers, the owners of these businesses, the current yeah. owners, don't really understand that concept. Yes. So hmm, how, do, how do you get around that? And so I'll say, you know, you mentioned earlier your background around spreadsheet. I have a corporate strategy background, which you are required to have, you know, more personality than say like an iBanker. And iBankers are also great people. I'm not knocking anyone. But it's still kind of cutthroat could be, you know, more touchy feeling. One thing that has been completely clear to me through my career at any size is you're always working with people. So just talk to people like they are people and talk to them in whatever language they understand. And when you're buying a business, you're actually selling yourself to the buyer, sorry, to the seller every single day until you sign that acquisition, the last contract. Until it's closing, huh? <laughs> Everything. Every, oh, because I mean, the, the night before, the person could be like... My baby, my business, I've changed my blood. I mean, literally every day until that stuff is done. Mm-hmm. So I I just talk, keep it really simple. I don't talk about, I mean, honestly, I'm not an accounting firm. The guy knows the working capital equation, but we don't even use the formal working capital equation. And then the financial due diligence we do for people, we'll do the formal working capital equation. We'll do what's called a working capital peg, which don't need to overcomplicate it for this. But 
I just keep it really simple. I'll say, okay, great. You know, once once we're we're past close, I think this is language anyone can take notes on. Basically, the business isn't going to have any money and it's going to take a while for it to get money. And I would love to pay people right away because, you know, that makes them happy. And that way I can continue your legacy. We can continue to have your employees paid and happy. So for that period of time, it's going to be a little bit challenging. Would we be able to just do a forward of, say, three months of expenses to be able to take care of the business? And I'll just repay you that within the first year. What do you think about that? That's how I would explain it. Yeah, they'd be like, why not? So so here's the thing. <laughs> so here's the thing. A lot of people are venturing into this SMB acquisition space without having all of this knowledge that you have on accounting right. and financials and all. And I mean, you know, I used to not think you needed at least a finance background or MBA so you understand terms or something. I used to think that you didn't for this part of businesses. I don't believe that to be true anymore because I have an MBA and, but I don't have a finance background. However, because of the MBA gave me the foundation to be like, oh, okay. Yeah. I remember this. I remember that. Oh yeah. Yeah. I do this. You know, I do that with some of my consulting clients. But if you don't have that and then you're not working alongside, let's say an accounting firm like yours, then how are people even figuring out or calculating what the working capital should be and things of that nature. I would love to say they are doing it well, which is why we say working capital kills a lot of deals at the end. What will happen is your bank knows that you need working capital, and then they'll try to explain it to you. Now, you are thus no longer an ideal. That's a little bit of a stretch, but the best client understands the business. If you are a banker and you're loaning signing money, do you want to be educating them about the financials of the business? No, you do not. They'll, they'll do that because they have to. But in an ideal situation, you know the financials of your business much better. And, you know, I'll say YOLO Accounting, fantastic firm. Highly recommend everyone, you know, give me a call. And also, you know, so I, I moved up to where I was right before a partner or managing director in uh, the largest consulting company in the world. And I, and I left because I wanted to work with smaller businesses, right? So I have a ton of experience. I actually skipped the MBA because I moved up so fast. And I have a pers- my perspective, which is more so I'm in entrepreneurship, is get from point A to point B in the shortest line possible. So everything is an investment. When people go to business school or any school, they think, well, school's normal. No one's going to make fun of me for it. I can get a loan for it. It doesn't matter that I'm paying when you include costs of tuition, the cost of housing, if it's executive MBA, your flights, your food, that's your actual cost. Then there's your opportunity cost. So if you gave up a job that was making 50K, 100K, 200K, 300K, whatever. So you gave up the two years of revenue or income that you would have brought in. And then you spent X amount of money. So if you add that up, you actually invested way more than you thought about in your MBA. That's an investment. Now, if you want to go buy a business, you could go to, you know, spend a year applying for your MBA. That's an opportunity cost. Go spend two years getting your MBA, which is two years. That's actually a three-year investment. And then buy the business. Or you could just pay somebody to help you understand these financial things. And then instead of paying two hundred to five hundred thousand dollars, it would be 
way less, <laughs> definitely less than 50K, depending on the size of the business. It could be 10K, it could be 20K. But I think people have to realize you're just trying to get from point A to point B. And what is the most efficient way in terms of time, money, energy, and resources to get there? And then the last thing I'll say is the point of an owner of a business is not to do all the work. That's an employee. The point of an owner of the business is to get the work done. I have a lot of friends who are entrepreneurs. And I remember we were at a conference and they were teaching accounting. And I was in the front row of a 5,000 person conference. And I think the average business owner in that row had, had been in business maybe five, 20 years, anywhere from 3 million to 50 million in top line. And not a single one of them could tell you about debits, credits, or any of the financial statements, which means you don't actually need to know those things. Mm-hmm. But they had people who did their books, right? And they were getting to a point where they needed to learn. When you're doing an acquisition, because they bootstrapped, they just, they were like, they just learned how to make money. And, but they paid for advice. Like one of them, she was a lawyer. She sucks at math. Absolutely terrible. <laughs> Absolutely freaking terrible. We talk about it all the time. Her, her brother's an investment banker. She's like, oh my God, I bet I, but his, she's like, when he does math, I don't understand it. You break it, make it simple. But let me tell you one of the advantages. So because she sucks at math and she didn't try to make a big deal about it or over-index about it, which means like spend too much time on it. She just basically said, everything I, I, buy, I sell, either I multiply by two or I multiply by three. She has fantastic margins. Because she realized anything more complex, her brain can't handle. Just like that's that. super smart. Yeah, and all attorneys I know admit that math is not their thing. Every single one. I'm like, no, but that math is math. And when it comes to your pay, though, <laughs> that that math is math. <laughs> but people decide when they want to understand what. Right. It's all yeah. about you know interest and effort. But you know what? She could have figured out all this stuff. So she's in real estate, and I sometimes I'll ask her like, what's your margin per? Per units, are your margins growing? And she's like, Yvette, honestly, I don't know the answer to all those questions, but I know this. I want a hundred doors and I'm an X number of doors and I multiply by two and by three. <laughs> it's a really simple. She has better margins than her competitors and she just focuses on increasing the number of doors. So she, she's like, I can count the number of doors. That's a very simple number. And so I want to go back to just simplifying how you talk about it to the seller. I've seen people write complex emails with spreadsheets. I keep it very simple. And I'm applying accounting. So my counterpart actually knows this stuff. I still don't use that level of complexity. So now if you're talking to someone who isn't a numbers nerd, do not expect them to understand working capital. Do not feel like you need to be an expert in working capital. And like with our clients, we'll get on banking calls with you. We'll help you after we finish the financial due diligence because we understand all of this is so critical, right? Like big companies don't have one person doing everything. They have an M&A team. And when you're doing research, you need a team. Your team is someone that will, you know, don't look for someone to just come in and just do financial due diligence, which is important. You want someone to help you get to close. I think people need to also, what is, again, point A, point B. You want the banker to know, hey, I want to get to close. You want your lawyer to know, hey, I want to get to close. You want your financial due diligence person to know, hey, I want to get to close. If you need to do tax due diligence, marketing, anything else, 
remind everyone that their job is to get you to close or let you know this is a bad deal so you can cut as soon as possible, which saves you time, money, and emotional energy. Like they, everyone is your team. They work for you and they have two purposes. One, get you close or two, help you cut bait as soon as possible. I love the way you put that because you end up spending as the the buyer search yes. of spending money on things and you may go too far in the deal with spending yes. money and it's it's yes. a dud. You know, you come to find out it's a dud. So I definitely have a healthy appreciation for your expertise and the type of work your company does. What's the name of your company again? Yeah. So a company is YOLO Accounting. Um, okay. Because you only live once. Do what you like. Let us do the numbers. I'm going to put that in the show notes, guys. And that's easy to remember, YOLO. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so when you buy this, uh, when you acquire this additional company, you're going to bolt on to your existing one. Well, so the structure is we're going to keep them a little bit independent. So they have different strengths and ideal clients. And okay. so this is kind of people talk about roll ups in this space, which is just buy a bunch of companies and put them together. Think of a fruit roll up. That's what I do. Just kind of roll them all together. And then if you think of like Louis Vuitton, like Louis Vuitton owns a bunch of different luxury brands. So unless you're like a business nerd, you probably don't realize that many companies are actually owned by the same thing or Toyota and Lexus are actually the same company. So they serve a little bit of a different market. And I'm very customer focused. So like Yolo Accounting, definitely we have a high focus on people who are doing positions, high growth and higher top line. So with the, the, the new firm, they serve more of a focus of more stable businesses. Probably more bootstrap businesses will fit in there. If you're going to do an acquisition, but then once you acquire, you're looking for more of a comfortable lifestyle. By comfortable, I mean, you're not trying to like, I need to double, I need to sell, I got investors. That would probably be a better fit for you. So uh, there are different fits, how I think about it. Oh, that's a super smart strategy. So, all right, I have so many questions for you. And I know <laughs> this episode is not supposed to be long, but it's going to be longer than the other ones. I'm just gonna, I'm letting you guys know. And for anybody who is, is involved in an acquisition right now, make sure you listen to this all the way through to the end and make sure you go to the show notes on the platforms. And it's going to be on every podcasting platform. This information she's sharing is very important. And it's actually not really talked about as like it should be, but okay. Let's go back to this question I have for you. So we were talking about different calculations that you guys could do to help business owners like understand the healthiness of a business and those kind of things. So yes. when it comes to, let's say, someone is acquiring a business and they're getting investors, do you guys yes. help with investor scenarios? Let's say if they're looking for a certain return rate, if you're giving preferred equity or are you doing revenue-based financing? Yeah, that's a really great question. Yes. So because we want to be what I call, we're what I call full staff, people normally think of that in technology. Okay. We have everything from accounting to complex financial analysis. So you don't have to go to different people for different things. You have one team that actually understands you and what you're trying to accomplish. So we can model out what those options look like to help you present that to your investors, help you talk through it. So you, you again, you don't have to be a Excel genius to get people to invest money in you. People, you know, 
even, I mean, Steve Jobs, for the amazing things he did with Apple, isn't the best engineer. <laughs> He's really good at ideas. Thank God Steve Wozniak is a great engineer and works really hard. Yes. But he's, his thing is ideas, marketing, and innovation. And your thing could be, you know, the home services business cold because maybe your parents did it or because maybe you have a passion because you did something, you know, for a while in this industry. Don't try to be an expert in something that you're not because it drains you. And I can tell you from personal experience, I've tried to be great at my weaknesses. All I did was... Well, actually, some of them I got really good at and it was just miserable because then people kept asking me to do them. <laughs> so you want to focus on your strengths. So we will help you with the investor analysis, with the raise and help you with all those calculations if you are in an investor scenario. And the other thing is investors will actually look that you have someone professional on your team. So more so uh, because investors, you know, they want their return. That's what they came in for. They... They will mandate that you have accounting and finance firm that they trust as soon as the business closes. And so we see a lot more of that with more professional, like private equity clients that we have or individuals who have investors, where unfortunately we'll see people who don't have investors delay. And I've seen that people delay up to like six months and they actually have been losing money month over month. And then they were finally like, oh my gosh, I'm losing money. I need help to figure out how I'm losing money. And had they reached out to us in the beginning, they wouldn't have lost all that money. And I'm talking like 25 grand a month losing money for six months. What is like yeah. the average size or the this typical size of the business that you guys work with? Let, let's just well, talk about like, I guess, revenue. No. Yeah, well, it ranges. So because we're doing a lot of people who do acquisitions, usually people want to buy a business at a minimum of one million in revenue. And that's because the first million is the hardest million. So you're just doing it to make your life easier. And it's a little easier to manage after a million. So people often buy businesses with more than a one million in revenue. And if a lot of your clients start with you with financial due diligence, by definition, you're going to have a lot of people that have at least a million in revenue. And then some people might have 40, 50, you know, million in revenue on larger firms, usually investment investor backed. And the thing is that the team in YOLO has has done Fortune 500, middle market. I mean, so you have a DD guy that's done IPOs. So it's a pretty sophisticated team, similar to me, just really wanted to help the small to middle market space, but could have stayed in Fortune 500 land if we wanted to, which it, it's a wide range, but it's basically the, the type that you would buy. And then occasionally we'll have, you know, like someone who were reached out to me today or last week, you know, she's buying a digital video editing company and they're only making, you know, 60K in revenue, but she really wants to buy it. It's only a year old. So that's not the typical profile of something you would buy. And, you know, that's not our typical ideal client. But there's a relationship that we're building with her. And so we're doing more of a bespoke service because a full quality of earnings wouldn't make sense at that size um, financially for her. And she also just, again, kind of like you talked about, needs the advice of what kind of questions she asks. So she and another partner are doing it and we're asking, you know, we're helping them with questions like, you know, chewing up the cash, understanding the cost structure for the business, understanding the people structure, the staff, will they stay, you know, just some things, and uh, this leads a little bit into more deal coaching, but like her and the partner are going to do it part-time. Well, how many hours a week are you guys going to work? Yeah. You're going to have to put this in your operating agreement. You're going to have to have a lawyer who's not just the lawyer, but a lawyer who understands you need an operating agreement in case 
you need to kick out a partner or a partner needs to voluntarily leave. So we're talking about due diligence and like helping those who are, you know, that financially savvy understand the business. Yeah. Do you all provide like fractional CFO services where you help them create KPIs for the business and things like that and monitor? Yeah, absolutely. So we will start the relationship as early as helping you review the deal. And then the next step is doing the financial due diligence, which is we analyze the numbers for the past three to five years, make sure the cash is actually there that they say is there. Do EBITDA. I don't want to connect that by checking their, their bank account. You do like proof of cash or something. Yes. So we do a proof of cash as part of financial due diligence. We do a proof of cash. We actually do a quality of earning. So when someone tells you they've made a million dollars, every million dollars isn't made equal. So a million dollars of project costs isn't this, is different than a million dollars of reoccurring revenue with low churn, which is different than, say, in the construction business, a million dollars from as clients that are doing new builds because new builds are very reactive to the economy. So so you want to, so every, every dollar isn't equal. And so that's what quality of earnings, it looks at some cyclical things, the economic environment, the health of the business. Honestly, how messy were those people's books that we actually can believe everything that they're saying? Because sometimes we have to redo a lot of work because we, we do have the, the backbone in accounting. And so EBITDA, so, or cash flow or net income, depending on how you see the listing and, uh, Typically, the broker has helped the seller, but the broker's not an accountant. So you need someone to do a calculation for you. And that's what we're going to do. The bank will do its own for them <laughs> based on their own assumptions and their own portfolio. But okay. you need one for you. So we'll help you figure out how much cash the, uh, the business has, working capital, make sure all the statements make sense. So sometimes like everything looks great on the financial, but the profit and loss statement, the income statement. But you check something on the balance sheet and you're like, whoa. Sketch McSketch, what's going, what's being hidden here? Mm-hmm. So you really need to be able to tie all of those different things together to, and that's part of what happens in that, you know, quality of earnings. And then you get to the quality of earnings, you've closed, well, you now own a business. So now you need someone to do your bookkeeping uh, every week. So a lot of places only do it once a month. We like to do it once a week because the point of that data is so you can make decisions. You need someone to do the business taxes, your personal taxes box there. We'll help you with, you know, accounts payable execution, if that's a distraction for you. And then with CFO, like you asked. So the reason I I ended with that is because we want CFOs help you with more complex financial stuff. And we have fractional CFO. The quality of a CFO's analysis based on two things. One, their ability to do analysis. And two, the quality of the data that they have. So tech folks will understand the phrase garbage in, garbage out. Yes, that is correct. (laughs) Same thing applies for accounting and finance. So whoever's doing your bookkeeping has to be a technical expert. Otherwise, whoever's doing your CFO work isn't reporting on quality data. And so often CFOs will tell people, and I've seen this, your book, your bookkeeping isn't clean. They will send you reports, but they know that the reports aren't accurate because bookkeeping isn't clean, but they don't do bookkeeping. And that is the reason why we will provide all of those services is because we can take accountability. So you don't have to 
hire and train some expert bookkeeper who knows how to, because the way you put in, you mentioned uh, revenue factoring, revenue factoring, people often actually do it wrong in accounting and they'll do it as a loan when it shouldn't be. Like the way you put in different types of loans, different types of yeah, transactions has to be correct to make sure you have all the right numbers. And so instead of you trying to train someone or send them to courses and hope they're learning and I, how do you grade someone if you're not an expert? Right. We'll do it. And if we messed up, you can yell at us. Please don't, please don't yell at us. Just tell us. But that usually we just do it right. We, we'll yeah. do it right. And we understand the bookkeeping. We also do like research and development tax credits. So tax credits are more complex and we understand complexity. We like and welcome and invite complexity. And that's where a lot of people uh, shy away from in the accounting profession. Not for anything bad, it's just, you know, complexity can be hard. We're, we're really nerdy. We're genuinely, <laughs> we enjoy it. Now I have a few questions to, uh, to add on to this conversation. One is you guys do a lot of things. And so I'm just wondering how big is your team? Yeah. So that's a really great question. So we've got, so part of it is seniority. <laughs> so mm -hmm. we have three senior folks that help across the account uh, consistently. And then one that's more part-time. And then I also understand that there are very knowledgeable folks all over the world. <laughs> and so we have resources that we can scale up and down from one team overseas and also individuals that we hire directly overseas. So a big part of the way we're able to do so much is one, the people at the top are really good. So it just takes us less time. Full stop. The second is I understand the value of scalable global resources. Uh -huh. And I believe in everyone's intelligence, no matter which country they happen to live in. Yeah, that's so, how we're able to do it. From a business, business owner's perspective, I'm going to tell you some of the comments that are, are kind of prevalent when it comes to, let's say, having uh, a firm do their bookkeeping and their taxes and their CFO services. There are concerns about like having checks and balances. Like, let's say, Yvette, you, you're a great bookkeeper. You also know how to do taxes. You also can do Q of E. You also, so then people are concerned about like having some checks and balances. So they may want a different bookkeeper from whatever other type of financial planning services they may have yeah. um, with the firm. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, so fundamentally, I would say first you have to trust your service providers. And I would, I would say, you know, if you're working, let's think about it in marketing. Say you're working with someone and they knock it out of the park on your LinkedIn marketing. Do you then say, because you're good at LinkedIn, I'm not going to let you do Twitter. Because you're good at Twitter and LinkedIn, I'm not going to let you do YouTube or TikTok. Because you're good at this, I'm not going to let you do that. So I think you have, if someone were to say, because you're good at this, you might be weaker. Okay, great. But don't let someone being good at something be the challenge, right? Because the other thing is, if you then say you want to go get an outside bookkeeper, for, because we are committed to not just providing fractional CFO reports, we want the data on those reports to be good. We're going to have to check that bookkeeper's work, right? Because mm -hmm. were you planning to check the bookkeeper's work? Because if you hired them separately, you've now assigned that into your role. So do you want to assign review bookkeeping work? Also, if you also have, when you have an accountant that's doing taxes, 
do you also want to assign, read all 65 pages of your tax return? Well, I think everyone should. I'm very happy for all our clients do. But do you? Because every single one of those people, they're not, only, the CFO can check the, uh, the other people. The CFO, well, our CFOs, because the CFO has to have an accounting background and not all CFOs do. In a CFO position, we can check the work of a bookkeeper. We can check the work of a tax accountant. But that is a paid service. So in addition to doing the CFO, we would do those other things and you would pay a separate person to also do them. Okay. And the last thing is also they're different skill sets. So it's actually not the same human that does like with the company. So yeah. it's not the same human that does every single one of those products, right? Like when McDonald's serves you, I probably shouldn't use McDonald's, but when a restaurant serves you food, it's not the same person that cooks it, that's the sous chef, that it's not the same person that preps it, it's not the same person that does the dishes or is the host. It's people who are individually good at the thing that they're doing. Yeah. And that's what you're really looking for, is you want people individually good at what they're doing. And then when you bring it in-house, you allow those people to talk more openly and freely, and you allow one company to know you versus you having to manage invoices, vendor relationships with three different companies with different approaches to how they do things. And if you want them to talk, you probably need to schedule a call with both of them. So then you can sit on a call and listen to them talk in detail about things you may or may not get, right? Like, so you kind of have to think about the additional work that you're putting on your plate when you're doing that. And if you want to volunteer for that additional management level responsibility, then definitely do that. Okay. Well said. On the bookkeeping side of things, I got a question on that. So in my company, and I work with a lot of clients, I do a monthly review meeting. My clients never do it. They just, they <laughs> just send, if they have a bookkeeper, right? They just, yeah. they just send whatever. And so they really don't have any understanding of the business. I don't recommend doing things that way. So in your organization, you know, you mentioned you do weekly bookkeeping. How often do you recommend doing a review meeting, you know, going through everything with your clients? Yeah, so we keep it up to date weekly. And depending on the package you get, uh, it'll be monthly. So I highly recommend that we do it monthly. Most people honestly don't care about it more frequently than that. Yeah. And unless you're in a really cash trap situation, you don't necessarily need it more frequently than that. So it's always up to date on a weekly basis. And then once a month, we'll meet with you. And it's so, so a lot of people will just send you the financial statement, send you the balance sheet, send you the income statement. But the truth is, if you could read all that by yourself, like you probably wouldn't pay us any money. So <laughs> we're going to get on a call with you and explain to you what that means. Mm -hmm. Right. So, you know, someone we were talking to recently was like, well, I'm I'm making more in profit, but I'm not seeing it in cash. Yes, you are selling more and that's fantastic. Now, what's also happening is your your clients pay you 30 to 45 days later. There you so go. Half before you see it. And, but what's also really interesting is you pay your vendors about 45 to 60 days later. So you are in a very unique position where you collect cash before you pay your vendors. Most people are in the opposite position where their, their clients are paying them 60 days later a lot of times. And mm -hmm. They have to pay their vendors 30 days later for inventory-based businesses. So it, helping that person understand, like you're in this positive cash cycle because of the timing of how your payments happen. And also any decision we make is going to take X amount of months for you to see it because that's how long 
your cycle takes for selling a product to getting the cash in the door and paying the cash required for the sale. That's how long it takes in your business. So we'll break that down for you, help you understand it. We'll identify your top five metrics for, for either top line growth or cost reduction, depending on your situation, and show you that in, in pretty colors. And I'm not, I don't say that to be funny. You can say that because it's really boring to see ugly numbers. Yeah, I'm going to say it's helpful <laughs> to make it interesting and creative, yeah, I'm sure. And, and have notes on it. And so we're really talking to you so that when you get off the call, you feel like you are in safe hands. When you fall asleep in the middle of the night, you're not worried about cash. We are doing activities for the outcome of you being able to, one, grow your business, two, sleep better at night, and three, feel more security and safety. You've already got it tough enough being the boss. Let us weight off your shoulders. I can't wait to share this episode because so many folks that I know need to hear this. And at the end of the day, y'all, it's just going to help y'all make more money. Okay. So I've lived in Texas for a while. You saw the accent change. That's, 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 what, the, that's, what, that's what we're going to do. It's not, it's not to be a cost. It's to be an investment for you. Because I've seen where people are paying 20, 30K more in taxes because things are miscategorized in bookkeeping. Full stop. Wow. I've seen where people have things miscategorized and they don't know that their marketing actually isn't paying a return because they don't have the marketing categorized in the right place. Where people take on loans that they don't really understand the full impact because no one could explain it to them beforehand. But that categorization stuff is, you know, important. Just by changing the, the bottom line, we've 18x to business, like <laughs> net income. So that's talking, you know, from like, oh, I'm doing okay and I'm rich. Like that's Right, that's life-changing. I mean, that was like 180K to 3.4 million. And so I was just, I've been trying to think, you guys, if you stay here to the end, say you stay to the end of this podcast, I'll do something special for you. I haven't decided exactly what it is off the top of my head, but everyone who stays to the end, because Monique is freaking fa fabulous and I love her and I assume her audience is also fabulous. So just tell me that when you reach out and you will get something special and I'll let you know what it is when I know what it is, but it will be special. Okay. I'll add yeah. that to, I'll add that. <laughs> to the show notes but i i know what i've you know gone too long because but i do just i'm just very i'm just very passionate i have a lot of concern i'm about to cry because this is something that i see at every level of business and i don't think people should have shame or embarrassment about it the company that was fortune one in 2012 i helped them clean up their books because it was it was a mess in several different business units and they were, had the most revenue of all businesses and, and all publicly traded businesses in the U.S. I've worked with people who are small businesses just getting off the ground and feel that shame. I've been really sick and not able to do my own bookkeeping, despite the fact that I was a nerd in the, and well, I'm still one, but in my 20s, I would do bookkeeping on Saturday morning. And I know what the shame feels like when you don't have your stuff together. There, so there's nothing that you will come to us with unless you have proactively, purposely been fraudulent. <laughs> that we probably have never seen before. We're not gonna shame you. You don't have to be embarrassed. It's okay to be vulnerable. And that allows us to help you because that's all we're here to do is help you make more money and sleep better at night. I am so excited that you were on today. You shared so much light on things that I'm sure will be helpful to those that are in this situation. Now, this episode went on longer than typical ones, but guys, it's well worth every single moment. So 
Yvette, what is the best way for folks to get in touch with you? Yeah, great question. Check me out on Twitter because you'll see a lot of amazing content and my DMs are open so you can reach out to me. The other way is to go to yoloaccounting.com and you can see our services. So either check out services at Yolo Accounting or if you want to reach out to me directly, reach out to me on Twitter and you'll get a very prompt response from me and then a follow-up from a very happy team. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, everyone, follow up with Yvette and Yvette. I want to thank you again for joining and sharing all of these expert tips with our audience. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Unpolished MBA podcast. To hear more episodes or to request to become a guest, please visit unpolishedmba.com.